are listening to the American Truth Project Podcast. Welcome to Because You Asked. I'm Barry Nussbaum. We are back from our tour of Israel, and today's special guest is Danny Seaman. 30 years serving the government of Israel, including six prime ministers. He's known around the world as the voice of the Prime Minister of Israel, including a decade serving Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu. In segment two, we discuss with Danny anti-Israel media bias, literally from press around the world, and what Danny did to counter that, and what Israel should be doing now to level the press playing field. I think at 93, when the peace process began, with the Oslo process, the story sort of shifted from being the story about Israel, the return of the Jewish people to the uh, Holy Land, to its ancient homeland, it sort of shifted to the Palestinians because they were nation building supposedly at that time. And the, the journalists spent more time with the, with the Palestinians and in the, the Palestinian areas. Um, unfortunately, the, it was like they were embedded. Now, up until 2000, it was okay. But the moment that the Palestinians went to war against Israel, their so-called, or as the media, uh, the watered-down term, called it an intifada, um, at that point, they became tools and were being used by the Arabs and by the, the so-called Palestinians. And this, unfortunately, had a huge problem for Israel because it became, they became part of the weapon. And this was the public relations order. We call it, call it the cognitive warfare. Cognitive warfare is when you're facing an enemy and you're trying, you know, the international community finds itself involved in what's going on here. You're trying to affect the way international community, and, and there are two ways. One's in the political sphere, but also for military. If you have the international community sitting on you and preventing you from doing things in Israel, we know we have a very short um, room for maneuverability. Because very quickly there's going to be international pressure on us to stop our troop movement. And that affects our ability to achieve success or to win, or for victory. If you want to defeat the enemy, and we're talking about terrorists who are targeting our civilians, men, women, and children were being targeted, and instead of the international pressure being on the Arabs to stop using civilians as uh, targets for their aggression, the pressure came on Israel for restraining itself. Something that doesn't happen anyplace else in the world. Right. Nobody tells the Europeans, nobody tells the Americans, nobody tells the Russians that, oh, you better hold back or using disproportionate use of force. Well, isn't the whole idea of disproportionate use of force or force that you develop in order to defeat the enemy? It's right there. So Israel is being pressured for that. Fake news began when the stories shifted from what was really happening into agendas. And when journalists had brought in agendas with themselves, and this didn't by, happen by chance, the Arabs were very keen on developing or, or catering to those journalists. There were two types. Either those who were fully identified with them, and they knew this from international forums that they had participated in, the fact that they were supportive of the, of the Arab and the Palestinian cause, or that they saw that they were, I won't say sensitive, but were, were more inclined to do what the Palestinians told them to do. Tom Friedman, who basically gets everything wrong in the Middle East. There's not a one thing that he has uh, analyzed and has been accurate over the years. Um, he said something very interesting a few years ago that um, what Arafat did when Arafat moved in to Judea and Samaria, supposedly as part of a peace agreement with Israel, he adopted the same tactics that I had mentioned before in the 1980s in Beirut 
journalists were being abducted, he adopted the same tactics here, putting pressure on the journalists. And as a good friend of mine, an Arab journalist said, um, uh, Khaled Abu Tama, he said that, you know, you never know. With the Israelis, the worst that can happen is we'll take away their press work. But even then, you can work in Israel because it's a democratic country. He said, with the Arabs, with the Palestinians, you never know who's going to be waiting at your house when you get back in the evening. And there are physical threat there. And um, there's this case between being scorned by the Israelis or losing your head with the Arabs. What is a journalist going to do? So the physical threat, and, they ne and here's the problem we have, is they never spoke about it. They never admitted to being coerced. They never spoke about the coercion and the violence and the threats being directed towards them. Now, there were those journalists who sympathized with the Palestinian cause and took it on themselves as an agenda to get it across Israelis bad, Palestinians good. Why? Because they're the underdog. How exactly are they the underdog? Because we're occupying. And what happens here, how is this fake news? Because they decide where the news begins. They don't give you the background. They don't tell you that this is, you know, Israel is in Judea and Samaria, yes. But it wasn't that we woke up one day and decided, hey, we don't like the, the, the look on their face, let's occupy them. There was a, a threat against Israel 50 years ago when the Arabs decided to annihilate us. And they were not, uh, there was no um, two ways about it. They were very clear. They want to finish what the Nazis began. They want to throw us into the sea. They brought in eight Arab countries against Israel and the international community stood aside. They said to us, good luck with that. And they left us to our own, and we succeeded, surprising the rest of the world and certainly the Arabs themselves. Now, the conditions that brought us there 50 years ago have not changed. We tried to change it. 25 years ago, there were negotiations between the Israelis and the Palestinians. We offered them peace, and yet they still use that as a way of undermining Israel, trying to destroy Israel. So as long as that happens, we can't move out of these territories. That context is not given by the media. They just go to what is happening today. Israelis are occupying, so an occupier is evil. So those kind of things are not giving you the true, the whole picture of what's going on. They're giving you a photograph of what is happening and telling you this, this picture here, which tells a thousand words, it still doesn't tell the whole story. So that's fake in a way. Now, yes, journalists don't have a lot of time to give you all that I've given you, but they understand the circumstances. They understand, I'm not telling them to be sympathetic towards Israel, but when you're taking one side only, and if you say that there are universal standards such as if you attack civilians, if you um, kill children, these are unacceptable. But when it's done against Israel, they find some way to understand the Arab side, that's totally unacceptable. That, they're not doing their job at that point. Well, and that's all true. What about the, the fake kids dying in the street and well, pouring the blood on, on, exactly. so the, on the same victims that have been in the last three videos? Well, that's, that's the other part, and that's where journalists could do their job more professionally. At that time, we didn't call it uh, fake news. We call it unprofessionalism. We grew up knowing journalists had a role to do. They were, and they would usually fly that flag with us, telling, we're here for the people. We need access. We're here to give the story to the people. Okay, give them the story. Instead, they were not only conned by the journalists. Now, if they were conned, I could say, fine. But fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on the journalists for being fooled. Third time, it led us to ask questions. If you guys know this is happening, What's the problem? And this goes to a broader picture of what has happened. Around the 80s and 90s, journalism changed, especially the ones who set the tone, the ones who set the media agenda for television, were the news broadcasts. In the 80s and 90s, if you remember, ABC, uh, CNN, others were purchased by these huge corporations, by Warner Brothers, uh, by Disney. ABC, I believe, was purchased by Disney. And they changed the news from news departments or news divisions to entertainment and news. 
It's not even news and entertainment. It's entertainment and news. And they understood that you want to get people to watch. How do you get them to watch? Blood, sweat, and tears. Create a whole show and get this drama going. And we used to say, Jews is news, so that's why they have to cover Israel. Israel is interesting. But if they kept to that and, and trying to at least give you some kind of context of what's going on, that's fine. But when they were, I don't want to say duped, because very often we found out that they were willing participants. They knew blood, so they would have it. We had the, the event that began the violence in the year 2000 was not Ariel Sharon going to the Temple Mount, as many people accused him of doing. That happened, there was some violence, because why Jew goes to the Temple Mount? Why do they have to resort? Why does everything have to be resorted to, to violence? Why doesn't a journalist ask themselves? If, if you as an American went to some location, and, or, or somebody you don't like, or you oppose politically, if you resorted to violence, you would be at fault. You would be the part of the people, be the person that people are criticizing. We in the Western society do not accept violence as an alternative. But when they do it, it's understood. They all, there's always an excuse for Arab violence. It's either this thing or that thing. And this is also the condescending attitude that they have, this, this racist attitude towards Arab. The, the uh, uh, what do you call it, the, the racism of lower expectations. Oh, we can't expect them to be better like us. Well, there's, a, there's an ingrained racism to that attitude. But putting that aside, when they take that as acceptable, and then they see that these pictures are being staged, and what happened was that you had an incident in, in Gaza where it took us a while to, to figure out what was happening because you know, journalists were taking footage and they brought us these images of a child being fired at by the IDF. Now it takes a while to verify this, but the journalists would tell, oh, this is accurate. And the more we investigated it, the more we found out there are a lot of questions raising for it from this. Israelis didn't fire. The fire was not coming from the direction of the Israelis. The child was never hit, though he was reported as having been killed. And that report of him dying, and we call this the modern blood libel, that here the Jews killed an Arab child, that generated the violence that erupted around that time. Though we know later on that Arafat was planning this all along. This was part of his strategy to undermine, to use the peace process to undermine the stability of the state of Israel and get international uh, opinion against us. And the journalists who were some of them weren't even present on location. One of them from French television wasn't even present on location. His Arab uh, photographer, who others, there was no other, and there were other cameras there, no other camera caught that story. He went and gave that story to other news media. I give credit to one journalist uh, who was working for CNN at the time, Mike Hanna, who was working for CNN. He refused to take it because he asked the question that a journalist, a professional journalist, is supposed to be asking. But within a day, the moment it became a story, CNN pushed it aside and CNN began reporting it as well. So television set the standard and set the agenda. Other media fell in place and others have to pick up that story. And they start taking something that was made up, was totally fake, staged by the Arabs, and it becomes an, a, a factual event, supposedly. With time, we discovered that this was happening very often. And camera crews, or the foreign media were using local Arabs as their fixers and camera crews, and they were staging events. And when we addressed this, and we came to Reuters or to BBC, and we're saying to them, look, you know, we have this evidence that your camera crews are, are staging events or they're not reporting professionally, they would say to us, no, our, our Arabs who work for us uphold all professional standards. Now, we had evidence that it was happening. You have a society, an Arab society, that does not uphold the professional standards of Western journalism. And they as much as admitted it. You have them on the record saying that they see their role in media as continuing the battle against Israel and other means. So where are you not holding them to those professional standards? 
And when they weren't doing this, what you were having were staged events, events taken out of proportion, uh, focusing on things that were not the story, but served the Palestinian interests, and the journalists perpetuated this. Now there's also the economic aspect. Um, Reuters, for example, BBC, they're not only media corporations, they're business corporations first and foremost, especially Reuters. And um, there are a billion Arabs in the world. That's a huge purchasing yeah, force. They also have media that's directed to the Arab world. Well, you have 12 million Jews around the world and you have a billion Arabs and Muslims, you're going to invest in the Arabs. So they had this whole interest in catering to the Arab message. And we were on the other side of this. And this fake news that was developed, we were the ones suffering because it also had political implications, it had military implications, and Israel was at, at a loss. We were speaking before going on live here about Israel's, uh, the image of Israel internationally. When you have media that is specifically, and I'm not even going into Al Jazeera right now or RT, the Russian television, that are specifically and even anti-Semitic, deliberately determined to, to create an impression of an evil Jew play on all these Christian uh, or ancient Christian um, uh, stereotypes of Jewish people, I'm not even talking about them right now. I'm talking about bona fide, serious media who participated in this, and it created this impression of uh, an evil Israel, of occupying Israel, a colonialist Israel, all these stereotypes being applied to, to the state of Israel, it made it very difficult for us to, to address it. And I say, the fake news started here. So and what's the solution? Well, I think the solution came uh, naturally. How did the solution come? Because um, the people, uh, journalists were supposed to be catering to us as the people. People have today access and have the power in their own hands through um, internet and social media. And whereas 20 years ago, if something happened here, we only had the media to get the information out there. And they would either, and I hear what I'm saying, other ways of forging or falsifying media is not giving access, selling only part of the story, is using images that only apply to one thing. And if they're not giving you the opportunity to, to respond, and here where, here's where um, Trump has been brilliant. He doesn't use, he doesn't even go to them. And on the, on the contrary, he attacks them. And he uses those venues that he has at his disposal. Social media, Twitter especially. Um, sometimes some people will say he's exaggerating with it. No, but the media has created a circumstance where somebody who they do not like, and had it not been for Twitter, he would have not had that access to the public. So today he has it. And he's battering the media with this. And they've lost it. They've lost because the public don't trust them anymore. The public don't go to them anymore. Their numbers have dropped. Even when they're trying to entertain, people don't watch them anymore because the public are disgusted with it. It all started here. And when we brought this to the attention of the heads of BBC, the heads of ABC, I sat and met with them. Well, I sat with them in, in, uh, in New York. They took me to lunch and trying to, to wine and dine me. And I, told, I was very strict. I told them, your correspondent, you sent here, caters to the Arabs. She brings them presents. She, we have her on the record. We have her hate telling them that she'll do what they want in order to get access, in order to get the story. And we said that she is not a professional journalist. You cannot have her in Israel. They thought if they'd argue, if they'd accuse us of different things when they were sitting with me, they, oh, you know, this is undemocratic, you're uh, that. I said, look, you can say what, and I was very polite with them. I said, you can say whatever you want. Your correspondent is not going to get access on our side because she is unprofessional. It took a while, but they moved her out. If media had been... Who was that person? Uh, never mind. <laughs> she's, she's not with ABC anymore, let's put it this way. Uh, after a while, they understood the, the, the damage that she caught, being unprofessional. Uh, she was actually appointed by uh, Peter Jennings. 
um, ABC was a very interesting story. They had, out of London, were responsible for the Middle East with everything except the appointment in Israel that Peter Jennings demanded that he have. And we know Peter Jennings had a political agenda which was against Israel, and he wanted somebody there in Israel that uh, would serve his interests. Right. Um, and she did a very good job at it. And when we made it very clear, now there was this attitude that with government, oh, we have to be nice to the journalists. We have to uh, give them benefits. And I said, no, you call them out. You call them to task on this. They have professional standards they're supposed to be upholding. You don't go and say, oh, you're anti-Israeli. No, I brought them evidence to show how they are failing at their own professional standards. I said this on the media. They didn't appreciate that. I was attacked very widely. When they couldn't get anything serious, then they do character assassination. I would get what the Israeli media were joining in, and you find out, I was saying, Israeli media, why are, they, why are you attacking me? I'm bringing you evidence. And I find out that Israeli journalists are hosted by foreign media every so often. They bring them to the United States or to Europe for conferences, supposedly. They spend two, three days there, and then they have a whole week at the expense of that media organization or a foreign um, host. Well, it's not only a foreign host, sometimes it's governments. The Foreign Service in, in Britain, in Germany, in the United States, they invite journalists give them uh, wine and dine them. And so they had an interest. You know, if I was giving the, for the foreign press a difficult time here, they had to smear me. So I had to go through these smear campaigns, but I didn't, because I knew what I was doing was right. And I wasn't asking them for anything. I didn't tell them to be pro-Israeli. I was asking them to uphold professional standards. Be professional, because I believe that if the story was told genuinely, honestly, Israel would, get, would be presented in, a, in an honest way, and people would understand what is really happening here. I was naive to a very large degree because the journalists had, in addition to the professional failures, they had a political agenda, as we see it today. Today, it's really out there. 20 years ago, people had this image of the media being like, I grew up with uh, Clark Kent <laughs> and Lois Lane. They told the truth. That was the expectation. It was the expectation that you had these journalists that are out there. You know, Hollywood, with movies, with uh, cartoons, they sort of generated this, this concept of the, 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 the journalist who's out there to fight for the, the American way. And so I trusted them in that. And slowly I understood that, no, they have agendas. They have money to make. And that's what they're interested in. And so what happened was, as I call this the cradle of fake news, when it wasn't addressed, when we brought the information to them here, it, it doesn't end in one location, in many, many, in many different ways. If it's the war against terrorism, if it's the, the fight against Islam, Israel is the canary in the coal mine. What happens first in Israel, and then spreads to the rest of the Western world. And this happened with the media as well. When they fail to uphold professional standards here, they get used to it. So a journalist coming here, getting away with reporting murder, goes back to the United States or goes to Europe. They continue with the same tactics they did before because nobody called them out on it. And so you had the deterioration to the point today where everybody knows, or everybody questions, is a journalist doing their job professionally, seriously, providing us with the information so we as a public make the decision, or are they trying to dictate and, and tell us what to think? Danny, thank you so much. Thank this you. has been a real distinct pleasure. We really appreciate it. Fascinating insight from Danny Seaman. Thanks for joining us on Because You Asked. You can always write to me at barry at americantruthproject.org. I promise to get back to you. And you can go to our website, americantruthproject.org, where you can sign up to be on our mailing list. It's always free, and you'll never miss an exciting episode. I'm Barry Nussbaum.
Thanks for listening to the American Truth Project, a 501c3 nonprofit. Please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on our social media channels to stay plugged in to the truth. Go to americantruthproject.org and subscribe to our newsletter to stay informed on the latest news.